0: Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, thanks so much for being here. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and flip over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. If you're new to the Bible, that's going to be near the back half of the scripture. And uh, here's what I want to say. I just want to kind of frame this time up before we jump in. Today, we're going to take a break, an intentional pause in our series, American Gods, and we're doing this not because we need a filler Sunday, not because we didn't know what else to do, so we're just plugging something in. Uh, but there is a, there's a training that I've done. There's a, a teaching that I've been doing lately with some of our leaders, some of our pastors, and some of our, even some of our ladies and our women's cohort. And the feedback that we've been getting from that has been really helpful. Uh, it's been really, I think, shaping for a lot of us in the way that we think of ourselves and our own inner life and how we live and interact with each other. And what we want to do is we actually wanted to take a Sunday because we've had people asking, hey, could you do this on a Sunday? Could we talk about this stuff on a Sunday? So that's what I'm going to be doing today. It's really creating a culture of blessing, uh, really identifying wounds that you and I carry and what the invitation of God is to us in the middle of our wounds. So uh, unlike our normal ways of doing things, normally we'll just camp out on a passage of Scripture. Uh, We're not going to do that today. I'm going to kind of give you a biblical theology of, of an idea that maybe you haven't wrestled with or thought about much. So we're going to be all over, but we'll have the scripture up on the screen for you. I want to say this to parents. Next Sunday, we are going to be talking about the God of sex. We're going to resume our series and wrap it up next Sunday with the God of sex. And Pastor Josh is going to be teaching that one. He'll be, he'll be uh, filled with tact and wisdom, and he'll be really helpful. But just want you to know as parents that it could create some conversations at home. So just be aware of that, and that may not actually be a bad thing, but uh, you get the option on whether or not you want your child in the room next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, we're going to jump into our uh, new series over the book of Philippians. So excited about today. I I have two goals that I really want to see happen today, just two things that I hope take place. Number one, I want to help you own your story. I want to help you own your story in a way that opens up the door for some deep personal transformation to happen. And then number two, in addition to you owning your story, coming out of today, I really want to help you be a force of blessing in the lives of other people. Someone that, someone that unleashes the goodness of God in our world and over people's lives, rather than someone that unleashes curses, dysfunction, and destruction. So no big deal. This would be really simple. Those are my my two goals for today. Um, Here's here's the reality. Um, You and I live in a fallen world, and with this fallen world comes some realities that we often don't think about. You and I woke up inside of a world where we don't just have sin, but we also have some things called wounds, and we also have some things called weaknesses. And there's an invitation from God in each area of our lives with those three things. With sin, the invitation from God to us is to repent of our sin, uh, that word repent literally means to turn away from our sin. Uh, with our weaknesses, the invitation from God is to embrace our weaknesses. Second, Second Corinthians twelve nine, the Apostle Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that the power of God is made strong. So the idea of a weakness is something that is, um, it's something that, you, you were actually born with or a limitation that you have. Uh, maybe the reality that you're not God. You don't know everything. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't do everything. And you were, you were never made to repent of not being able to be God or not being able to function like a machine. God made you a human. You were repent of trying to be God. You're supposed to repent of that. This idea of repentance for sin and this idea of um, embracing our weaknesses, that's big. But then here's the biggest, most neglected category, the idea of Wounds. Wounds that you and I carry. And the invitation to God in the middle of your wound is not to repent of it. You repent of sin. It's not to embrace it. The invitation from God to your wound is to experience the healing grace of Jesus for your wound. So with that in mind, I want to just walk you through a really important passage of scripture. This is Galatians chapter three, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. I want to just kind of give some acknowledgments here before we jump in that so much of what I want to tell you today has been shaped and formed by guys like John Tyson, uh, guys like Bob Thune, uh, guys like Ronald Rollheiser, Seth Haynes, a few other people have really shaped my understanding on this topic, but this is a topic that we don't talk about very often. In Paul's manifesto against legalism in Galatians chapter 3, he introduces a set of words that culturally speaking, we just don't use very often, the idea of blessing and curses. Uh, if you're anything like me, when you thought of a curse, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or some other fictional writing. You know, like, yep, that's a curse. And that's the only thing that you think of when you think of a curse. And maybe you think of stubbing your toe and saying a, a profane word or something, and that's what you think of when you think of a curse. And when you think of a blessing, maybe your, your understanding of a blessing only goes so far as, if you sneeze, I know what to say to you. Alright, bless you. But outside of that, I don't know. Or maybe it's like a, a really cheesy sentimental Hallmark card, blessings to you. Or maybe it's maybe it's a, if you want to be really spiritual in the Bible belt, it's like, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed. How are you? You might hear that. And that kind of caps out our understanding of these two ideas of curses and blessing. But what I want to tell you, and the reason why Paul brings this up, is that if you don't understand these two words, blessing and curses, then you're gonna miss out on so much of what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. You're gonna miss out on one of the core strands of scripture, one of, the, one of the primary narrative themes that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This is a really big deal that I wanna take some time and unpack with you. But before I do that, I wanna share a story with you, two stories about the first time that I remember being consciously cursed by someone else. I was probably eight to 10 years old. I don't remember exactly what age I was at and I was hanging out with my grandpa. Now, a little bit about my grandpa. He is amazing. He, he actually he passed away in December, um, but he was like one of my best friends. I admired him. I loved this guy so much. He was a great storyteller. He was brilliant. He used to be a principal at Monroney Junior High back in the day, and I just, I just loved this guy. He smoked a cigar all the time, smoked a pipe when he wasn't smoking a cigar. It's like, how do you not like that? So I just, I was with him all the time, and, and actually, we live next door. So my house was here, his house was here, and we actually built, by accident, a dirt path from our houses because I would kind of stampede my way down there every day to spend time with them and watch boxing and hear him tell stories. And one day I was sitting with him, and and I don't remember why or how this happened, but he asked me a question. It was a math question. Now, if you know me at all, then you know that I'm actually horrible at math. Uh, I'm good at a few other things, not many things. I'm terrible at math. Like, I'm embarrassingly bad at math. And he asked me a very simple math question. It was an addition question. And I didn't know the answer. Like, for some reason, when he asked me, I froze up. And my mind kind of turned to mush, and my cheeks got hot, and I felt nervous, and And I remember throwing out a number, and he was like, no. So I threw out another number, no, wrong. And I threw out another number, no, wrong. And I remember thinking, like, how many numbers are there? How long can I keep doing this before I get it right? And finally, he said these words to me. He said, are you stupid? If you don't learn to do math, you'll never amount to anything. And I know that that's him at his worst, I know that he probably didn't mean it, and he had no idea what that did to me, but the minute he said those words, it sank down into my soul, and it just crushed me. It just changed the way that I saw myself, and I began to think of myself in a certain way, and I remember thinking to myself, I never want to feel stupid again. Another story, uh, I was in, I was homeschooled for the first part of my life, which is why I'm so cool today, and um, Thanks for laughing, and, um, and I remember about halfway through my eighth grade year, I was thrown into public school. I'm one of ten, and my mom was like, nah! you know, so she just like, she had enough, and rightly so, she did the right thing. So she threw us into public school, and I remember middle of my eighth grade year, and junior high kids are so kind and nice, and uh, my first day, I remember thinking, well, I look like everybody else, and I dress like everybody else, so I should be okay, and I walked up, I took a risk, I went to the cool table. And I had my tray and I sat down. And one of the kids, he looked at me and he said, you don't belong here. Get up. And so I did. I took my tray and I just remember feeling crushed by that. I actually sat, true story, sat by myself day after day after day, most of my eighth grade year, just totally ashamed, didn't know how to interact, didn't know what to do. And I remember th- thinking to myself and feeling I, I will never feel secluded again. Like whatever I've got to do to be accepted, whatever I've got to do to be on the in crowd, whatever I've got to do to belong, I'm going to do it. And so here's what's happened. Those curses, these were functional curses that the minute these things were said, they sank down into my soul. They had a profound impact on the way I saw myself. They changed the way that I engaged the world. And from that day forward, I was pursuing this blessing this blessing of being smart, this blessing of being accepted and belonging to a group of friends. That's what I was pursuing. In fact, it even affected the way that I entered pastoral ministry. I realized that by becoming a pastor, I could read a lot of books and, and actually had some sort of an intellect that I could massage and work and I remember some weird things about the Bible and so all of a sudden here I am and it's like, man, I- I'm never going to not know an answer to a question ever again. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into theology and I'm, I'm going to master the Bible as a pastor so that I can know all the right answers and be smart. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best I can to preach good sermons and to lead well so that I can have acceptance and approval from other people and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can be on the in crowd. And all of a sudden this whole thing of pastoral ministry instead of it being about Jesus and his mission, instead of it being about you and your soul and your good and your discipleship, it was about me trying to achieve the blessing that I wanted so badly and to deal with all of these wounds that I was carrying inside of my soul. This is what it is to be functionally cursed. Now, if you are uh, sitting here thinking to yourself, well, if that's what a curse is, I've been cursed my whole life. If that's what a curse is, I have felt what you're describing, I've been cursed too. What do I do about it? Well, what I want to tell you today is really just this biblical concept of blessing and why we crave it so badly and how you and I experience that in such a way that we are freed to now unleash Blessing in the lives of other people rather than unleashing dysfunction and destruction in the lives of other people. So that's where we're headed. What is the biblical concept of blessing? What's the biblical concept of blessing? Let me read this to you. The Old Testament word blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak. This means to speak the intention of God and to be happy with where you are. The New Testament uses two words, makarios, where we get the concept of happiness, and the Greek word eulogia, from which we get the word eulogy. Eulogia literally means good word. It's to speak well of or to speak the intention or favor of God on someone. Just as eulogies are tailor-made, so are blessings. When we talk about blessing someone on a practical level, we're prophetically stating, may God's full expectation for you be fulfilled in your life. And we know that God's intentions for people are good. Think about a a, a eulogy for just a second. My grandpa, the same one that profoundly wounded me that I love so much and adored and respected, I I was able to give a eulogy at his funeral. And what I did is I spent time on it and I wrote it out and I thought all of the things that I love about him, all the best things about him, because this is my chance to brag on my grandpa. This is my chance to to bless him. So I stood up and I gave the eulogy. And I remember having the thought, why do we wait till people die before we... tell them the things that we thought about them. I mean, how many times do you walk around in this room, or in your life, or with your spouse, or with friends, or with your roommate, and you have a thought, or, or a coworker that you see doing something, and you think, man, I'm so impressed with that person. I love that person. I'm grateful for this because of the way they do this, or I'm so impressed with this thing about them, and you don't say it. To bless someone is to craft and hone your words in such a way that you say, I have something that I want to give to you, a good word that is going to fill you with happiness and it's going to be the intentions or favor of God over your life. Dallas Willard says this. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. The projection of good into the life of another. Can you just imagine that for a minute? Imagine someone came to you and they grab you by the shoulders and they look you in the eyes and they say, I have some good and I want to project it into your life. I have some good that I want to give to you. Just stand there and take it and I'm going to bless you like crazy in this moment. Deep down, everybody in this room wants that, don't we? We crave it. We're actually hoping today, please someone do this for me today. Please someone do that for me today. Because I know that we live in a world that's so encouraging and Facebook is just absolutely a blessing to us all, right? Can you hear the sarcasm in my voice? Like, Facebook equals discouragement. And we live in a world of discouragement. We just so desperately want someone to tell us the good intentions of God for our lives, to speak the favor or heart of God for us. That's what we want. Now, why do we crave it so badly? Because if we're honest, we all want this. Why do we crave blessing so badly? Well, here's why. The Bible doesn't start with the curse. The Bible actually starts with blessing in Genesis chapter 1. So let me read this to you. This is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Listen to this. So God, he created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The earth is yours. You're blessed. Go enjoy it. See, the the story of the Bible actually starts not with the curse. It starts with God grabbing humanity by the shoulders, looking him in the eyes and saying, you are blessed. Here's my favor. Here's my good intentions for your life. Now go. Go enjoy. And so if you want to know what it means to be human, it means that on a fundamental level, you are oriented around this desire and need for the blessing of God over your life. You are actually made to work from blessing, not for it. You are meant to engage your work and your relationships and your singleness and your marriage and your creativity and your rest, not for blessing. You are meant to engage those things from blessing. Blessing is the very start Of the human experience it's what you and i were made for we were made to experience it now here's the sad reality we know how the story goes the story isn't a continual story of blessing from genesis one all the way to revelation that in genesis chapter three something happens that introduces us to this new word this word the curse Instead of it being a story of blessing from Genesis 1 onward, something happens where the enemy, he comes to Adam and he comes to Eve and he he convinces them with the same old lie that he's been giving to us ever since. Hey, God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you, but you can be your own God. And if you decide to remove yourself from his blessing, there won't be any consequences for it. Go ahead and do what you want to do. And so Adam and Eve being convinced by this lie and in their own brokenness, they actually, they step out of the blessing of God, they step out of the favor and good intentions of God over their lives and instead they define their own reality and this produces what we know of as the curse. Instead of God responding with just a forever blessing, a continual story of blessing, what we have is the curse is then laid down on humanity because they stepped outside of his intentions. Now, have you ever tried to define the curse? Have you ever thought about, like, what is the curse? How do we put it in a phrase to really understand it? Here's, here's a stab at that. The curse is what happens when we reject and resist God's good intentions resulting in his disfavor and displeasure and our dysfunction and destruction. That's the curse. The curse is is something that when we remove ourselves from his blessing, it results in his disfavor and displeasure over our lives. And it actually brings in our own life dysfunction and destruction. If you missed the six o'clock news last night, I'm going to sum it up for you. Dysfunction and destruction, right? That's what you missed because that is the world that you and I woke up inside of. This is why the world is the way it is. This is why relationships fall apart. This is why marriages fall apart. This is why friendships break down. This is why gender wars exist. This is why there's racism. This is why wars break out because we live in a world where we have removed ourselves from the blessing of God and we are now experiencing His uh, displeasure and disf- disfavor over our lives and we're walking out dysfunction and destruction. I don't think you have to be a Christian to sense this reality in our world. In fact, I I think whether you're a follower of Jesus or not in this room, then you can see how your heart has been broken by the curse and you crave the blessing. Even though you don't have words for it, even though you've never thought about it, you actually crave this blessing from God. We're still haunted by the reality of the fall, aren't we? So there are three ways, and I'll be brief with this, but three ways that the curse really manifests or shows up and affects our lives. Here's the first one, the curse and generational sin. The curse and generational sin. I'm gonna say something that's gonna offend some of you, and it's gonna relieve others of you, and then probably a great majority of you won't care whatsoever, Uh, but here's the reality. The Bible never, ever, ever talks about generational curses. Did you know that? Never uses that phrase, But the Bible does talk about generational sin. Sin of your fathers and mothers and how that actually affects you and has a ramification for your life. We see this in Exodus. I'm not gonna read the whole passage to you, but Moses is talking to God and God shows up and tells Moses his name. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, and he starts to talk about his character and he says this, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Did you know that your parents' sin and their parents' sin and their parents' sin has real effects on your life? In fact, Sam Storm says this, he says, The sinful behavior of one generation can have lingering and disastrous consequences on subsequent members of that family line. You cannot be held morally accountable before God for the sins of your father or mother, but you can be made involuntarily to suffer from the social, economic, and spiritual consequences of their sin. I felt this on my own marriage. I thought that when my wife and I got married and when we kissed, it would be like Beauty and the Beast— We'd break the curse of sin over our lives and it's just like beauty and blessing raining down from heaven. But what I found is that the brokenness in my family and my own family's sin and how that's affected me affected the way I treated her. And the brokenness in her family affected the way that she treated me. And here we are, two sinners that are carrying more into our marriage than we ever imagined possible. And it took work to figure out how do we do this. So the curse and generational sin And then here's the second way the curse affects us. It's the curse and personal sin. You see, it's not just the sin that other people do against you. It's also your own sin that you and I should repent of. We see this in Hebrews with the author talking about Esau and how Esau sinned in such a profound way that it had long-term ramifications on his life that changed the course of his life. Hebrews 12, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Look what happened. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Commentators agree that he didn't seek repentance with tears he sought the blessing with tears but he didn't repent of his sin so he committed this sin and he didn't repent of it and now he's he's living in a way that has long-term ramifications on his on his life the curse and personal sin and then finally and here's the big one that i want to spend just a few minutes with you unpacking is the curse that's spoken over us by other people the curse that's spoken over spoken to us by other people There are a lot of ways that the curse affects you and I in this room. One of the most profound ways that the curse affects us and probably one of the most undetected ways is the things people say that sink into our soul and affect us in a profound way. Things like, you're fat. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're a klutz. You don't belong. Or maybe it's things that people didn't say. I love you i accept you you matter to me things that people say and what happens is 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 we fail to realize that in the in the tongue there is immense power for both life and death And I get it, people with bad theology have hijacked this portion of Scripture and they create this really weird doctrine about if you just say certain things out loud that you can get a jet to and you can be a millionaire and have BMWs raining down from heaven. I get it that people with bad theology have have done that, but listen, don't let them hijack the truth of Scripture. There is power of life and death in your tongue. This is what James says, the brother of Jesus. And I just want you to think about if you were to talk this way and try to explain the, the devastating power, the destructive, dysfunctional power of the tongue and greater words, what words would you use? James 3, verse 5 The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Lions, they can be tamed. The tongue can't be tamed. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now look at this. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. From your mouth, he says, you bless God. But from the same mouth you curse your brothers and your sisters. You curse your kids. You curse your wife or your husband. You curse your roommate. You curse your coworker. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And James says, followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be because the only thing that should come from the Christian mouth is blessing. John Ortberg Ortberg says this. He says, I used to think that cursing someone meant swearing at them or putting a hex on them. So it's pretty easy to avoid because I didn't swear much or do hexes. But I realized how wrong I had been. You can curse someone with an eyebrow. You can curse someone with a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. Now, there are a few things that happen when someone curses you functionally. They say something that sinks down into your heart. There's a few things that happen. Let me give you four of them. The first is when someone curses you, it creates a wound. A wound. You get wounded by the sinful things that people say or the sinful things that people do against you and this usually happens in your most formative years. It's, it's usually a parent when you're younger or a, or a primary caregiver or someone that you really respect and admire or, or someone at school that you really looked up to or a teacher or someone and, and something is said to you, something is done to you and it produces a wound inside of your heart that actually changes the way that you start to live. The second thing that happens is these wounds start to create lies. You're stupid. Yes, I am, I am stupid. I am stupid. And so now there's this lie that you live out of. And, and that lie affects the way that you live. You actually, it leads to the third thing, start to create idols. You look, you look to idols. So if it's you're stupid, yeah, I am stupid, but I'm going to create an idol out of being smart so that I'll never have to feel the pain of that wound ever again. And now what we do with our idols is we're running to these things not for healing, but to numb out. We run to things to numb the pain that we feel, this pain in our chest, because we don't want to feel it anymore. I just don't want to be that way. I don't want feel to that, feel that rejection anymore. I don't want to feel those things anymore. So we live pursuing idols. And then eventually, because idols just cannot satisfy, they can't heal you, they can't help you, idols eventually create addictions. Addictions. And these addictions in your lives, you keep running to the same thing over and over and over again, trying to get the blessing, trying to get the curse out of your life, trying to feel better, trying to be okay. Wounds, lies, idols, addictions. Let me tell you a story about how this can manifest in the life of a person. Uh, There was recently a really successful and beautiful Christian woman who fell into horrific, horrific, embarrassing sexual sin. She had started one of the most important nonprofits in the country had had really just had a meteoric rise of success in the Christian industry, and everybody was kind of hanging on every word that she was saying. She was just doing incredible, incredible work and had tons of respect and prestige in the christian community and Then she fell into some horrific and embarrassing sexual sin and lost everything and A pastor sat down and was just asking her, "Tell me about why why did you." I mean, you had a meteoric rise. You were experiencing incredible success. Like, what happened? Why did you throw it all away for sexual sin? And here was her response. Growing up, my dad would always tell me all of the time, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. My whole life, I thought I was ugly. And throughout high school, I was really insecure. But when I got to college, I started to realize that I was getting disproportionate attention from men and I realized I had a great body and I could manipulate men with my behavior and my looks. I was trying to prove my dad wrong. Look, men want me. Men are attracted to me. You were wrong. So she started this nonprofit, had amazing success, an incredible rise to, to achievement, and then it fell in embarrassing sexual sin. And here's what she said at the very end. She said, I guess my dad's voice was still the loudest voice in my head. She believed in Jesus. She believed the gospel. I guess my dad's voice was still the loudest voice in my head. Wounded as a little girl, she believed a lie, created an idol out of being attracted that led her into an addiction of sexual sin, which eventually caused, as she's pursuing this blessing, her life to start to unravel. The curse is real, the curse is real in your life. And when I teach this, this is, I've taught this a few times now, and when I get about to this point, I just look at your faces, and it's almost like I can feel some of the pain that you're feeling too. And some of it is shame. Some of it is you're thinking about things that you've said, th- things that you've done to really destroy and hurt other people. But man, if we're honest, a lot of us, we're thinking about things that were said to us things that were done to us. And, and you're sitting here going, I I was cursed. I've been that. I've experienced that. This is really profoundly heavy. And it can produce all kinds of dysfunction and destruction in your life and in my life. Now I have, I have good news for you. This is really heavy, but here's the good news. This is why Jesus came into the world. This is why Jesus stepped into our humanity, so that he could find where the curse is and so that he could get rid of it with his power and with his life, death, and resurrection. This is why Jesus came. In fact, one of the shocking things about this story, if you look at the scriptures from this lens of blessing and cursing, is as soon as the curse is unleashed in the world, in Genesis chapter 3, what you have is this downward spiral, this narrative of dysfunction and destruction, all the way to Genesis 11. And then in Genesis chapter 12, here's what you have. God comes to a pagan named Abraham. He pulls him out of Babylon. He looks him in the eye and as soon as the curse is unleashed, God starts to unleash blessing in the world. Look at Genesis 12. Here's what it says. God says to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families, of the earth shall be blessed. Did you hear a word that was repeated over and over and over again? Blessed, blessing, bless, bless, bless. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I will bless you as soon as the curse is unleashed on our world. God is busy at work unleashing his blessing. In fact, God is so adamant to create the people of Israel into a people of blessing that they even had a a like legit official blessing that the priests were supposed to give to the people of Israel on a regular basis. We read this in Numbers chapter six. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Can you imagine being a part of the people of Israel and it's like, could we just get another blessing today from God? Yes, the Lord bless you. And like, oh, they're just receiving this blessing because this was the intention of God his people and then here's what's even more crazy you get to Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 28 it lists out a list of blessings and curses and here's what it says if you will just do these things you will be blessed by God but if you do these things you will be cursed. If you keep my word and if you obey and if you do these things, if you keep my law, you will be blessed in all these ways. But if you sin and if you fail and if you do these things, you will be cursed. And there, the curses are shocking and the blessings are wonderful. Now I want you with all of that in mind to fast forward and go back to Galatians chapter 3 and now with maybe a better theology, I want you to, to listen to this passage with new ears and new eyes. Christ Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You see, on the cross, what Jesus does is while he's hanging there, he takes all of the curses from our failure and our sin and all of the curses from the sin of other people, and he absorbs them in his body on that tree. And he dies in our place for our sins so that those of us who are experiencing the curse, we, who didn't deserve it, could now experience the full blessing of God. Jesus gets what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. That's what he does in the gospel. What he does is he says, I came and I lived and I died and I rose, not just to forgive you, and that would have been enough, but I came to forgive you and heal you. I came to absorb the curse and to give you the blessing. This is why Jesus came. He's not just interested in forgiving you for your sin. He's interested in in dealing with the pain that you carry in your chest from the things that people have said and done against you. Now listen to this. I could trace this through the whole Bible but we don't have time. I'm gonna give you one other other passage of, of the New Testament that shows this is just a central theme in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter one verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? He isn't withheld anything. He's, he's pouring out his blessing on you, his favor and his love and his good intentions for your life. Blessed be God for giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. My favorite Great Commission story. There, there are a few different uh, Great Commission stories where Jesus is about to rise or about to ascend into heaven. My favorite one is in Luke 24. And just listen to this. Paint this picture in your head like a movie. And Jesus, he led his disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Can you imagine that? I don't know how that happened. I mean, Jesus is standing there and he's like, I bless you and I bless you. And then he's like, starts to float away. I bless you. I bless you. I ble-, right? And the last thing that they see is Jesus just floating off into the heavens, blessing them. And so that's the loudest voice ringing in their ears as they go to engage the mission of God. We are blessed by the King. We're blessed by God. He didn't just die to forgive us of our sin. That would have been enough, but he's given us every spiritual blessing. It's safe to say that the whole ministry of Jesus could be summed up with the word blessing. Everywhere he found the curse of sin, he unleashed blessing. Everywhere where he found someone that wasn't loved, he loved them. Everywhere where he found someone who was sick, he healed them. Everywhere where he found people that were hurting and broken, he met them with mercy and forgiveness and grace. This is what he came to do, to take where the curse has been just devastating our world, Jesus came in to bring his blessing and bring us back into a right relationship with him and each other. So with all of that, I want to just ask you this question. Do you want to be someone who unleashes dysfunction and the curse on the lives of other people? Is that who you want to be? Or do you want to be someone that everywhere you go, you're unleashing blessing on the lives of the people in your life? Do you want to be someone who is taking the good intentions of God and his favor and you're speaking that over the lives of other people and you're living that out functionally over the lives of other people? Well, here's the hard reality. Just like hurt people hurt people, wounded people wound other people. It's true. And if you are living out of your wound, living out of your pain, what's gonna happen is that you are going to find yourself in a situation where every room you walk into, every relationship that you engage, every time you try to build a friendship or a marriage or a relationship with someone else, you are gonna be living out of your wound and instead of you being a force of blessing in their life, you're gonna demand that other people give you the blessing that you're so craving and it's gonna put a crushing burden on them and they cannot do it. And you're gonna be hoping and pleading and running after and chasing this blessing and all these other areas, and living out of your wound, it's gonna eventually cause you to wound other people in your life. You'll have nothing to offer. But the invitation today is to not live out of your wound anymore. The invitation for you is not just to repent of your sin, and by the way, some of you today have sin you need to repent of, but the invitation for a lot of us, maybe all of us, is to actually experience the healing, mercy, and grace of Jesus and the depths of our wound. So how do we do that? I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna close with this, and I hope this will be helpful. There are a few things that I think you need to to do by way of response to this word to experience the grace and healing mercy of Jesus in your life. Number one is this. I think what you need to do is take some time and identify and name your pain. I think you need to take some time, slow down, and identify and name your pain. Let me give you some categories. For some of you, it's the pain of scarcity. You grew up in a home where acceptance was scarce. You never were accepted. Maybe you grew up in a home where love was scarce. Maybe it was friendship. You just craved a deep friend that you can call at 3 a.m. and you've never had it friendship was scarce maybe you grew up in a home or in a life where money and possessions were scarce and you've wondered why do I have such an unhealthy approach to money why do I have erratic spending and why am I so adamant about saving and achieving and acquiring more money maybe it's because you grew up in a home where money and possessions were scarce and you're saying to yourself I'll never feel that pain again what is it maybe it's the pain of abuse for some of you it's physical abuse I know I know it's hard to go there, but for some of us it's sexual abuse. That's created some real pain. Maybe it's verbal abuse. Maybe it's the pain of neglect. You were neglected as a child, maybe in your current state in life now, abandoned by someone that should have been there. Maybe it's the pain of loss. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe you lost a baby in the womb. Maybe it's the loss of a dream or the loss of a friend or a loved one and, and that shaped the way that you live. Maybe it's neuropathic or it's physical, physical pain and it just shapes the way that you engage the world. I, I don't know what it is for you, but there's other categories of pain. I'm asking you, what pain do you carry? Every one of you in this room, you came in today with pain Something a, a dad said or a mom said or someone did or should have done or should have said and it's just shaped you. And I'm not excusing your sin for that. I'm not excusing for the, the ways that you've leaned into that in a really sinful, broken way. But what is the pain? Spend some time identifying and naming it. Number two, I want you to notice the ways that you try to numb your pain. I want you to notice the ways that you try to numb out. I'll never feel that again. Maybe it's running to food. For some of you that's it. You eat a disproportionate amount. Like an unhealthy amount because you have pain. Maybe it's alcohol. One glass, that's all right. Two glass, maybe that's okay. But you're not there. Maybe you're a functional alcoholic or well on your way you're trying to numb out. Maybe it's shopping. Seriously, maybe it's shopping. You get on Amazon and you go to the mall, whatever it might be, you just buy stuff and you, just, you do it because you have pain. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. You find yourself gravitating again and again to them and you don't know why. Maybe it's porn. Porn's an epidemic in our culture. I think not just because we have access to it, but I think it's an epidemic in our culture because we are hurting broken people that just want to feel better. Better. And that doesn't excuse the sin by any means. Maybe it's unhealthy sexual fantasies. Maybe it's, um, you know, b- building uh, a relationship that you hope might turn into uh, an emotional affair or an adulterous affair with someone else. I don't know what it is, but why and how do you numb out? Where are those places in your life that you, you numb out saying to yourself, I'll never feel that again. I'll never, I'll never experience that pain. Number three once you identify and name your pain and you notice the ways you try to numb your pain, I want you to do something very bold. I want you to bring your community into your story. I want you to bring your community into your story. It's true that you can't change on your own. I've never met an isolated Christian that grew in great formation of Jesus and love and devotion to his, his word and lives on mission like I've just never met that person. The way that we change is inherently communal I want to ask you to do something really bold. I want you to spend time naming and identifying pain, figuring out how you numb that pain, and then bring other people, a community group or a discipleship group, into that conversation, or friends and, and you say, "Listen, here 's my pain." I don 't want you to say anything, just just listen to me here's my pain, and here 's how I numb out. and here are the addictions that have been created, and here's the lies that I believe, and here's the idols that I've been worshiping. I'm craving blessing in these ways. Now please, would you help me? Would you speak gospel truth into my life? Would you pray for me? Would you be with me? And you have someone speak into your life the truth of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Number four, I'm almost done. Bring your pain to Jesus and ask him to heal you of it. That's the most important step that you can do. Bring your pain. Don't just take it to your community. I think you take it to your community and then you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm hurting. And, and I, I see ways that I've sinned out of this and so I'm repenting of that sin, but I'm hurting. I'm hurting because I never was told this or I was told this and I believed this lie. Jesus, would you heal me of that wound? And I cannot imagine Jesus saying no to that prayer. I can't. He came to bring blessing where there was a curse. And then finally, number five, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to embrace the blessing that you have in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to embrace it. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given you his son. He's given you his life. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He has given you a completely new identity, a new destiny. He's given you gifts. He's given you strength by the power of the Spirit to live. He's given you a community. He's given you forgiveness and he wants to give you healing. Receive that blessing that Jesus came into the world to give you. Do you remember the Christmas song that he came to bring his blessing where? as far as the curse is found. Where's the curse found? That's where he came to bring blessing, and you can receive that today in Jesus just by coming to him by faith, saying, thank you for that. I do, I do receive that. And maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Man, I don't know what you think about Christianity. I don't, want you th- I, don't know what, I don't know what you think about Jesus, but he came to bring blessing where there is curse and dysfunction and destruction in your life and in our world. And he's inviting you. He loves you. He came for you. He wants you. Just come to him today.